Hello and welcome to another episode of Travel with a Chance of Murder, the travel and true crime podcast where we take you through the tips and tricks of visiting destinations around the globe and follow it up with a true crime tale to try and scare you away a little bit. I'm Cassidy and I'll be your spooktacular storyteller, the host that walks you through each city or country's terrifying tale of true crime. On the other end of the mic, we have Allie, our travel guru, who takes us off of the bean path and helps us explore things we've never heard of, but definitely need to experience. Hey, Allie. Hi, Cassidy. <laughs> How's it going? Great. I'm so excited about where we're going. I was feeling a little homesick when I was writing my script. Oh, I believe it. You spent so much time here. I'm sure it's a memory's coming flooding back. Oh, it really is. Have you ever been? Oh, have you ever been to the place we're going? I have. Yeah, I went with Marina. Oh, I feel like I knew that in the back of my mind. Uh, I mean, it was a long time ago as part of our like three-leg trip. Yeah, when you went to Portugal, right? No, when we did Greece. Oh, whoa, 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 whoa. I see. Mm-hmm. Okay, folks. Well, we don't want to keep you in the dark too much longer, so we're <laughs> going to do some three, two, one. Three, two, one. Lizzie McGuire. <laughs> what? Oh, no, I guess, yeah, Lizzie. We are headed to the magical city, the eternal city, Roma, Italia. In the city of Roma. Yeah, no one actually knows the words to that song, but everyone can do the beat. Actually, I learned the words to the song last night. Oh, no way. I was going to surprise you with it. You really got into it. I love it. Uh-huh. Well, I dedicated for this lines. I know how to say it in English, but the Italian translation wasn't great. Oh, sad. Whatevs. <laughs> well, yeah, I'm super excited to be in Rome. I am too. I can't believe we haven't done Italy yet. I know. I guess we're just saving the best for last. Yep, definitely. Here we are. Okay, well, let's dive in. Let's do it. Sweet, sweet Rome. So Rome, the eternal city, as I said, has a very appropriate nickname because the city has been a major human settlement for nearly 3,000 years, which is bonkers. That's like, yeah, that's in the BCs. Oh, yeah, that is in the BCs. Rome <laughs> has been around for so long that it's cities on top of cities at this point. When you visit Rome, you'll see ancient Roman architecture like the Colosseum and the Forum that's just left over from thousands of years ago. The Romans were a very advanced society for their day. They were great architects, were very fond of water, so there's a lot of aqueducts and fountains. They did a great job of bringing water into the city to have modern things like baths and drinking water for their inhabitants. That's so funny that that would have been so like luxurious at that time to have a bath. I know, I know, and they had just big public bathhouses because that was, again, so luxurious. So that's the Rome that you think of in ancient Rome. And then, of course, Catholicism and the Vatican City, which we'll get into. And then the Renaissance pops up and holy crap, Rome exploded after the Renaissance. (laughs) Um, A lot of the buildings you'll see are either ancient Roman or Renaissance buildings. And of course, all of the art is from the Italian Renaissance and Baroque periods as well. 
Any time of the year is a magical time to visit Rome, but you can avoid the crowds and the heat by going in the shoulder seasons, either the spring or the fall. Um, in the summer, it gets pretty hot and muggy. It gets up into the 80s, so totally you can go, but it's also super crowded in the summer. So I would recommend spring or fall. My family visited at Christmas, which was special to see the Vatican uh-huh. dressed up for Christmas, but it wasn't cold at all. It was probably in the mid-50s. But there mid-June and it was rainy so (laughs) yeah but it was good I mean but it was warm yeah just a little wet did you guys still walk around and do stuff even though it was raining did you get those ponchos that the tourists get we had umbrellas (laughs) (laughs) whenever you plan to go plan as long of a trip as possible the city is giant and like I said ancient and you'll be doing a ton of walking and a ton of sightseeing and Shout out to Lizzie McGuire movie. As Miss Ungermeyer would say, we would not want you to miss out on any important Italian history. <laughs> I'm so surprised you could work a quote in, but I'm so happy you did. <laughs> oh my God. The Lizzie McGuire movie could potentially be one of my favorite movies. If anyone hasn't watched it, who listens to this podcast, one, that's blasphemous. Two, please go watch it. Second rule of the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> After the castles. Watch Lizzie. Watch Lizzie. Uh, more background, Rome is a fairly safe city. I found that more people spoke English here than any other Italian city I visited, but on the flip side, it is a giant city. So there's a, definitely a lot more people trying to sell you things on the street, like roses or tours of the famous monuments. Um, also, there's some pickpocketing problems that you see in maybe Paris or other big cities in Europe. So definitely watch out for that. There's also a ton of traffic and cars and motorbikes going every which way which also threw me off a little bit about Rome. You guys don't know, the reason why I was homesick for Italy is because I studied abroad in Venice. And obviously in Venice, there's no cars, there's just boats. (laughs) And even in Florence and Milan, there aren't a ton of, it's not a ton of traffic. But in Rome, the city is just kind of set up for for moving. And so there were a lot of people going a lot of places and I almost got hit by a car a couple times. Yeah, it's really busy. Like, I was surprised, too. I think we took the metro one day to the Vatican, and it it was weird to see that kind of transportation in Rome. Yeah, I agree. We took the metro once or twice. We had my grandparents, and, you know, they're not great metro (laughs) because the train comes so fast. But we took the metro once, but again, it was, yeah, crowded, kind of stinky, unexpected for Rome when it's so glorious above ground. Obviously, there are a ton of must-see things in Rome, which is what I'm going to go through. I'll do a couple must-see off-the-beaten-path things as well. I was with my family again when I was in Rome, so we sprung for tickets to go inside every historic place that we visited, which I normally wouldn't do if I was traveling alone. However, most of them were so worth it because it's living history. Like, hello, where else are you going (laughs) to be? At the breadbasket of humanity. To save money, though, when we went to the monuments we would use the free rick steves walking tours which plug on rick steves hello i love you first of all second of all (laughs) he is amazing he speaks so happy and calmly and slowly and he has great anecdotes about the things that is going on he plays sweet background music and the best part is you can get these walking tours on apple podcasts and you just download them onto your phone or however you get podcasts you can just download them onto your phone so if you're in a foreign city you don't need wi-fi or a cell service or anything 
and you can download the podcast and he comes, he has a map. So you can just take a screenshot of it on your phone, have the map on your phone, have the podcast in your ears and walk around and learn about Rome or any city in Europe, really. I think, yeah, I'm a little jealous. We definitely didn't use tools like that. We just walked around and like enjoyed the blocks and like ruins that we were looking at, but we didn't really have a clue what happened there besides the little plaque. Yeah, exactly. And just having, and I mean, you could also hire a tour guide when you're there. There's tour guides at every major monument, scalping tickets and um, trying to get you to pay for them, which we paid, we talked to someone at the Coliseum and we decided to go with Rick Steves instead of them because, you know, (laughs) Um, but they're usually not scams. Anyway, the point is Rick Steves, he'll save you money and teach you about what's going on. Okay, let's get into the major must-dos in Roma. Yes, please. I'm going to say number one is visiting the Coliseum. It's just absolutely 100% worth it to buy the ticket. Standing in this building that was built 2,000 years ago just connects you to humanity. Just think of all the people who sat in the stands. This Apparently, the Coliseum was able to hold 80,000 people. Oh, wow. Which is just insane to me. And um, as history tells it, there were gladiator battles and shows and things like that in the Coliseum. And it's just kind of where the public came together. So again, we did the Rick Steves walking tour and it was great because he'd play like gladiator noises and tell you the whole history of the Coliseum. Um, Absolutely worth it. It's just an insanely humongous monument. It's like wild to think about that it's still completely standing from 2000 years ago except for that one little Mm -hmm. piece that fell off or whatever happened and I would definitely recommend to go in I don't think I realized that it's like so many layers to it like there's Mm -hmm. the ground layer where they fought and then the stands actually have a couple layers to them too which I think is crazy yeah definitely there were you know the different areas for the emperors and the lay people who were just going there to (laughs) hang out Next to the Colosseum is the Roman Forum. The Forum is where religious, economic, and public, oh, and governmental life in ancient Rome took place. The Forum is, along with the Colosseum, truly the greatest sign of the splendor of the Roman Empire and just the vastness and just how big everything was that you can see today. Um, The Forum is right next to the Colosseum, which makes sense because... This was the main center of life in ancient Rome, and the Colosseum was obviously a part of ancient Rome. It is a really cool site to go see because you get to look into the past, how how massive the buildings were in the Roman Empire. However, I'd say paying the 12 euro ticket price is only worth it if you're a really big history buff and know all the history yourself, or two, if you have a great tour guide named Rick Steves. (laughs) (laughs) That does sound steep. I'm surprised... It was that much. I, no student discount? There has to be a student there, discount. There probably was a student discount. I just grabbed the adult price. Yeah. Wow. Because y- you and Marina went in, right? Yeah. And like Cassidy was saying, it's great, but the forum is now just ruins. Unless you have someone really bringing history alive, it can be a very long, hot walk through a poorly shaded park. Yeah, that's a good way to I mean, it's just it. like, it's just a lot of stones covered in grass these days. There's like a couple little spots where you can see what a house used to look like. Um, of course, there's the very famous tall standing columns of the forum that are still standing, but you can't get close to them, obviously, because they don't want anyone to knock them over. 
Um, and if you don't know the history behind what that building was or what the temples were or anything like that in the forum and you're just reading the signs, nah, you probably won't get a lot out of it. Yeah. And I mean, there's a lot of ruins that are there that are free that you can just like go walk exactly. around. Exactly. Right. Exactly. So that one, maybe not a must do, but definitely a lot of history. Okay. The next one though <laughs> is the Trevi Fountain. This Ooh. one is, is a non-negotiable when you're in Rome. You absolutely must have your Lizzie McGuire moment. If you haven't seen the movie, please go watch it right now. Turn the podcast off. I don't care what you're doing. The Lizzie McGuire movie is so much more important. They say if you toss a coin in the fountain, you'll come back to Rome one day. And you should toss it with your right hand over your left shoulder. I didn't know there's a specific way you have to throw it. Yes. That's not good. I Googled it. I need to be able to go back to Rome. <laughs> Uh-oh. <laughs> um, I'm going to give you guys some history of the Trevi Fountain because it's kind of interesting. So the fountain, a fountain, has existed at the location of the Trevi Fountain since ancient times. So there used to be an aqueduct there. And um, the Trevi Fountain, like Trevi, is like bringing three things together. So it was three streets that came together. And there was a fountain there, and that's how the ancient Romans brought in water in like 19 BC or something crazy like that. A very long time ago, there was an aqueduct, and it ended at the Trevi Fountain. But the way that we see the Trevi Fountain today actually didn't get started until 1629. Pope Urban VIII commissioned an artist, Italian artist named Bernini, you may have heard of him, to sketch renovations, and the fountain began to take its current shape. But as things often happened during the Italian Renaissance, things got started and then people died and then they forgot about it and then it got brought back up again. So this started in 1629 and then Pope died, the project was abandoned, Bernini dies. And then in 1730, Pope Clement XII had a contest to redesign the fountain and Niccolo Salvi, a Roman-born architect, was ultimately awarded the project. So he started building in 1732, and then the fountain was finally completed in 1762 by Giuseppe, Patin by Giuseppe Panini after Salvi's death in 1751. So they were thinking about this fountain since 1629, and it took them until 1762 for it to finish. Wow. Oh, I just think it's cool that people pass away, gets picked up. They have a contest of all things. I know. <laughs> I know something it's just funny because you wouldn't think about having a contest in ancient or something times, right? that's like such an important part of like yes it was made by a contest right so let me paint you a picture of the Trevi Fountain if you've never been you're walking through the heart of Rome all the streets are crooked and crowded and you're just walking and walking and walking and then all of a sudden you hear people first and then you hear water and then you are suddenly at the Trevi Fountain. Like, the Trevi Fountain is not how the Colosseum is, where it's very out in the open, it's easy to see from everywhere. No, no, no. You have to find the Trevi Fountain, which is funny because it's ginormous. It's 20 meters tall and 29 meters wide. Yeah, it's one of those things that's super hard to miss, but the way they placed it in such a weird place where, like, yeah, these roads all lead to this one spot, but they're not big main roads. No, it's honestly so... In Italian cities, there's often a lot of just piazzas, like little plazas that are everywhere. And the Trevi Fountain is just in a piazza. Like, mm -hmm. if the Trevi Fountain wasn't there, there really wouldn't be anything in the plaza except for, like, a tree and maybe some park benches. Yeah. You know, or maybe people selling, I don't know, 
spaghetti. <laughs> um, but anyway, so you're at the Trevi Fountain. It's always crowded. I don't think you can ever get to the Trevi Fountain when it's not crowded. I bet you'd be crowded at two in the morning. Like, it's just that kind of place. There's tons of people. Everyone's scrambling, getting their euros to throw out behind them. They're just listening. There's music playing. There's men trying to sell you roses. It's hectic. It's crazy. It's magical. It is Roma. Yeah, it's Roman a monument. <laughs> it really is. If you're looking at the fountain, the fountain depicts Oceanus, which is the Roman god of water. And then below are gods from a number of different Roman gods to add symmetry to the fountain. And at the top of the fountain is the papal coat of arms, which we'll get into real quick, surrounded by angels. So it's neat to have the pagan Roman history and also the Catholic Roman history as well. Mm, Interesting that they let them have both on there. Yeah, it is interesting. Next, we'll head to Vatican City. Even if you're not Catholic or Christian, there is a ton to be seen and appreciate in Vatican City, which is, fun fact, the smallest city in the world. Sorry, not the smallest city in the world, the smallest country in the world. But they issue passports. Yeah, it's because it's the smallest country in the world. It's a real country, baby. (laughs) The Vatican City is, I mean, it's really just St. Peter's Basilica, which is this humongous church, St. Peter's Square, which is this humongous square, and the Vatican Museums, which are humongous museums. So while it's a small city, sorry, small country, (laughs) it's ginormous. So first, we'll head to St. Peter's Basilica. St. Peter's Basilica is the head of the Roman Catholic Church. It is literally ginormous and so ridiculously ornate and stunning. It can hold a whopping 20,000 worshipers just on the inside, and it's free and open to the public to visit. You just have to stand in a line if there's other people around. Even if you're not religious, I recommend walking through the basilica to admire the architecture I mean, you can only wonder how they built this. You know, obviously they didn't have any machines um, during the Renaissance. You'll also see glorious Renaissance paintings all over the walls and on the ceilings. And just the way the light really streams in is just regal. It's like there's almost multiple rooms to it, too. I remember walking in and like, I'm going to get lost. Oh, no, there totally are different rooms. My dad, big time Catholic, he went to mass when we were there and the church is so big that they have multiple masses going on at the same time and you can't hear the other mass going on. Like it's crazy how big it is and there's different rooms and there's museums in there and there's art and there's all kinds of things to see. That's pretty well constructed too, like the soundproofing. (laughs) I know, they got it figured out. It's just all the alcoves, they figured out how to capture the sound and not make it echo. Hot tip, if you're visiting St. Peter's Basilica, you should absolutely, I think you have to pay, but you should absolutely pay to go to the top of the basilica. It is a trek, there's a lot of stairs, but you start by walking up, 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 up into the choir lofts and then up into the dome of the basilica, which is like the highest point. So you're standing on the dome and you get to like look down onto the basilica and the people literally look like ants because you're so high <laughs> up. And then you walk in the dome. And so the stairs, because it's a circular dome, the stairs slant with the dome. And so you're like walking up sideways all the way up and then you spill out onto the roof and you can go up to the edge and you can see St. Peter's Square and Rome beyond the Vatican walls. And it's amazing because, so St. Peter's Square, again, humongous square, like 
if St. Peter's Basilica can hold 20,000 people, the square could probably hold like 50. Like it's huge. So the way that it's designed though, is the church sits in the middle and then it has two really long columns that stretch out in a semicircle. And the idea of it is like those like big columns are like St. Peter's arms, like welcoming you in. So when you stand on top of the roof, you can like see the arms stretch out before you. And then you see all of Rome. You can see the Colosseum, you can see the Forum, you can see the river. And it's just really, really neat to be able to go up there and literally be on top of the world. Yeah, that's a surreal moment. Yeah. So highly would recommend doing that. It's very worth it. And then when you are in Vatican City, you should absolutely visit the Vatican Museums and the Sistine Chapel. Totally worth the 21 euro. Holy cow. The Vatican Museums are, again, huge. They display works from the immense collection amassed by the Catholic Church and the papacy through centuries, including several of the most renowned Roman sculptures and very the most important masterpieces of Renaissance art. The museums contain roughly 70,000 works, of which 20,000 are on display. There are 54 galleries in total, with the Sistine Chapel notably being the last one within the museum. The Sistine Chapel, of course, has its ceiling decorated by Michelangelo, and it is insane to be in the Sistine Chapel. It is so colorful. There are so many people. There's these guards at the door that say, no talking, no photo no talking, no photo. And that's what they say the whole time. You're not allowed to talk or take any pictures if you didn't get that. (laughs) Um, But absolutely worth it. My favorite room in the whole Vatican museums was the map room. And they have these old maps of Europe and other places in the world that were created during the Renaissance and a little bit later, especially when Italy was big and Spain and other major powers of Europe were big on mapping the whole world so I thought the cartography room was really neat did you visit the Vatican museums yeah we went with the tour guide um oh nice so they took us around and stuff my favorite room might have been the map room too it was the one where there's like gold almost on the ceiling and it was like Mm -hmm. glowing oh I don't know if that was the map room but probably I mean there's gold everywhere in that (laughs) thinking building I remember like being kind of weird in the Sistine Chapel, like not being able to talk. Like I didn't know what to do with myself. I was like trying to look around and fit <laughs> in, but I was like, this is weird. Like there's so many people and I just want to talk about what I'm seeing. I know, I know. Cause it's, I mean, it's humongous, like vast. And there's so much painting on the, on the roof. Yeah. Like Michelangelo was not messing around. He was busy. <laughs> there's a reason he got his name. Yeah. Babe. Okay, and now quickly, two little things that are a little less known when you're in Rome. We hit all the big stuff, but there's two things that you should definitely go see if you have some time for it. The first is visiting Travestiere, which means across the Tiber River. And once you cross the river, you'll notice the difference. The vibe is hip and bohemian. You'll find tons of boutiques selling jewelries, perfumes, and crafts in the neighborhood. You can stroll aimlessly around through cobbled streets flanked by old buildings and just kind of discovering the area it's it's the way to get out of the touristy area and experience the real Rome where people are actually living it's great at night if you want to go for pretty authentic Italian food you'll you won't find as many tourist trap restaurants as you would in Rome proper 
and there's a ton of bars that line the streets for good drinking. And then last is doing some shopping at Market de Campo di Fiori. And so this is a fresh fruit and vegetable mercato. It's a way of life for many Romans. They have these all around the city in lots of little neighborhoods. Produce is pretty high quality, perfect for making a picnic. Even if you're just visiting, it's a very fun market to go to. You really immerse yourself in the culture. Almost everyone speaks Italian. There's a lot of little old ladies buying their groceries. Um, the one at Campo dei Fiori is open every morning except for Sundays. It's definitely the city's most popular, so there's more tourists than other ones. So it's not necessarily the most authentic, but I really enjoyed it. This is where my favorite Rick Steves walking tour starts. It's called the Heart of Rome Walk, and I just really enjoyed it. It was fun to hear his musings about Rome, and this walk takes you to the Pantheon, which I didn't talk about, which is a Roman art artifact, to the Trevi Fountain, and to the Spanish Steps as well. So anyway, that was quick and fast, but that's Rome in a nutshell. Yeah, wow, you managed to really give the highlights quickly. That's yeah, crazy. Yeah, I did my best. So good. All right, now on to you. What do we got? Oh, man. We're going in. This is a week. Let me tell All right. You. <laughs> this is a week. Okay, well, I don't know what that means. Uh, well, have you heard of the name Commodus? I have not. Okay, he's a bad guy in the movie Gladiator. Oh, I haven't seen that movie. Okay, yeah. It came out in 2000 and it won Best Picture, so most people have, but it's okay. okay. Well, I just don't watch a lot of movies. <laughs> um, that's true. You don't. <laughs> I think it's kind of like a little bit relevant now because Joaquin Phoenix played oh, the bad guy. I know so. who that is. Yeah. The Joker. Mm -hmm. So he played... I haven't seen that movie either. <laughs> <laughs> Carry on. So anyways, the, like what happens in The Gladiator is like semi-accurate, but I'm here to give you the actual real on real of Commodus, the oh, yeah. cool gladiator. Emperor. We only speak truth here at Travel with a Chance of Murder. <laughs> we only give you the truth. Unless I'm talking about an urban legend, then you can take it with a grain of salt. I don't know. I think that Nessie is pretty real. <laughs> I'll get into it. <laughs> <laughs> so it's funny because as I was researching, I, the, some of my articles talked about how there's a strange pattern in Roman emperors. Oh. <laughs> Almost every brilliant emperor was succeeded by someone who is emotional or exceptionally mad. Oh. <laughs> exceptionally mad <laughs> so they get someone who's great Can't wait to hear where this one goes <laughs> and then they get someone who's cuckoo banana love the cuckoo banana ones so they talk about how claudius improved rome with his public works and then he had his stepson nero who infamously burned the city to the ground ah, i've heard of nero <laughs> then there was titus flavian who completed the Colosseum, and the public loved him because of his generosity but then his brother Domitian was assassinated by his own court. So, <laughs> holy cow! Tumultuous <laughs> times if you're a Roman Empire emperor. So, one of the most famous emperors to this point of history is Marcus Aurelius, who is also nicknamed yes. as a philosopher. He was nicknamed one of the five good emperors. Oh. And he was succeeded by his son Commodus, who is our character of the day. 
So something's going to tell me that maybe Commodus sucks. <laughs> you know, it said that just when they thought the days of mad emperors were long gone, <laughs> Commodus came. Nice. He has to uphold tradition. Someone's got to do it. Someone has to. He's just a giver, really. <laughs> so Lucius Aurelius Commodus was born in 161 AD. So we're going way back. Oh, yeah, that's like way back. <laughs> that's like. 1,900 years ago. Mm-hmm. Oh, maybe 1,800 years ago. I'm not very good at math. Quick math. <laughs> Don't tell my job. The thing about him is he was one of the first people who was raised knowing that he would be emperor. Like a lot of these people won the kingdom or one way or the other became emperor. He was born knowing like, yeah, you're the oh, guy. And <laughs> I just can't wait to be king yeah but unlike simba who had a heart of gold he had a pretty big streak of cruelty it said that at 12 years old he ordered the death of one of his servants the servant didn't make his bath hot enough and so he ordered the man to be thrown into the furnace but because he was only 12 years old and he wasn't in charge someone just decided okay let's burn some lamb skin and then maybe that'll confuse Commodus and make him think that like the deed had been carried out that's awful yeah so that kind of sets the tone for who he's gonna be yeah he sucks yeah at 16 he's appointed co-emperor with his father I think he's trying to like show him the ropes before he got the full kingdom to himself so he ruled with his father against the Germanic tribes in the Marcomannic wars and Wars that basically raged along the Danube River. But then his father died in 180 AD. And so then Claudius got the throne. He made peace with the tribes so he can run off to Rome. Ended the war really quickly. Hey, that's good. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, that's something. And then he basically behaved like a spoiled brat (laughs) at the beginning (laughs) of his rule. Um, He kept all of his father's advisors in place. So for the first couple of years of the rule, everything was pretty smooth because he had, you know, good people on board to help run the ship smoothly. And then they weren't in any wars. So that was an also added good thing. Well, that's awesome. You know, um, and I think it said that he probably could have gone down pretty unremarkable in history if this next sequence of events had never happened. Well, something tells me he wanted to be remarkable either in a villainous way or a heroic way and clearly we knew know which one he chose (laughs) well i think the historians make a good point when they say that so just just hang on there um 182 a.d commodia's sister lucila organized an attempt on her brother's life so his sister basically has this assassination plot um some people say it's because she's jealous of his wife other people say she sees some warning signs of her brother's mental instability and Did is you like say she was jealous of his wife yeah it's Yikes. ancient room it's ancient room i guess so <laughs> i was trying to gloss it over <laughs> <laughs> yeah and then other people think that she just saw that he was getting a little mental unstable and for the best of the country was just gonna cut it at the root <laughs> yep but for whatever reason the conspiracy failed um and then Commodus becomes like very paranoid which I mean to be fair your sister just tried to kill you yeah I guess I would be too so he has the assassins 
put to death. He has some senators who were in on it put to death. He exiles his sister, but does actually end up getting her um, killed a couple years later. Oh, that stinks. The assassination becomes a bit of a turning point for his rule. Some people think that because he now has the taste of human blood, he can't stop. Oh, no. That's not what I want to hear. Yeah. So he just begins to kill people, get them executed, no matter their rank or wealth or sex. He's just like, yep, you get to die today. Now it's your turn. Whoever makes him mad, it's just a one-way trip. Well, that's a bummer. Yeah. In the early years of his reign, he would also invite gladiators to the palace and stage combats against them so they could fight off and he would kill them. He would be like armed with all these kinds of weapons and gladiators, on the other hand, would would only be armed with imitation weapons. Are you serious? (laughs) That is so lame. But what is kind of cool, um, he moves from hunting in private to the Colosseum itself. So he actually performed as a gladiator in the Colosseum. Okay, that's kind of cool. While acting as emperor. Well, but... (laughs) He didn't, like, actually perform as a gladiator, because right? Because everyone else had the fake weapons, so really he just won. Well, in the Colosseum, he actually fought against animals and citizens of Rome. Okay, okay, okay. I don't like him, but that's respectable. (laughs) It said that he killed five hippopotami at one time in the Colosseum. That's impressive. Guys, hippopotamus are so scary. When I was in preschool, there was this book, like a picture book, and it was illustrated, and it was like Africa, right? And there was a picture, like an illustrated picture of a hippopotamus with a human head in it, and I've been traumatized about hippopotami since then. Back to I you, just Cassidy. can get Jumanji, the way it charges out of the bank. Dude, hippopotamuses are not nice. Like, they are mean creatures. So he kills five of them at once. He kills I two. I would too. Two elephants, uh, several, rhinor- <laughs> rhinor- <laughs> several rhinoceroses, and a giraffe. So he, had, I don't know how he gets all these kinds of like wild animals well, up I to Rome. To say, but isn't that impressive that the Romans were able to like go to Africa and capture these animals? I guess that they wasn't like Rome's not that far away from Africa, but it's just just so impressive like the expanses of the roman empire that they went and got giraffes mm-hmm. and then transported the giraffes how did they do that i don't know and to like drug them when there weren't really drugs and it's amazing so yeah he has his like basically giant slayer slaughter of the animals he also had a special platform constructed from the arena where he could do his fancy skills as a hunter so he killed a hundred leopards with a hundred javelins <laughs> and he also Ow. he'd also slice off the heads of ostriches and then run around the amphitheater with like their heads <laughs> okay it's honestly amazing that the roman empire didn't make animals extinct yeah I mean, it's incredible you made a good point earlier when you said that his gladiator fights weren't super fair because he did pick human competitors who didn't usually stand a chance, he usually fought against soldiers who had been in a war and then they were injured when they came back. So he would like fight against those kind of people. That's really low. Yeah. He would also tie them together so he could kill them both at once with his club. Oh God, he's awful. Usually I like our villains. I don't like this one. Yeah. Uh, He also declared that he was the incarnation of the god Hercules and he forced the Senate to recognize his divinity. So he was cuckoo bananas. He would wear lion skins, just like Hercules, 
make himself <laughs> imposing. Um, he loved being in the gladiator coliseum aspect with his lion skins. He actually changed the name of the calendar months to be after himself. He renamed Rome to Colonia Lucia Ania Comadiana after himself, and he had statues of himself all over the city. That, okay, I'm going to interject again on Roman history. That's very similar to what uh, Julius Caesar and Augustus did, because that's why we have July and August. Oh. Uh-huh. That makes more sense than naming all 12 months after you, though. Okay, fair, but it's still a little conceited. But still, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, those ones stuck. Obviously, he was too crappy of an emperor for the, his months to stick. But just like you, they're not having it. The Roman people are, they're done. They're oh, like, thank goodness. Oh, you, you're bugging us now. Okay, so, I knew there was some sense in these people. It's 192 AD, and they're starting to think that he's a curse to Romans. He's just so bringing this has been the like city. 10 years, though. Yeah. Didn't his dad die in 180? 177. So it's been- Holy cow. Yeah. Been like 15-ish. He's bringing the city into bankruptcy and chaos- so they make a conspiracy and it's kind of fronted by his mistress marcia so they bring him some poisoned meat but somehow he vomits it up and he's fine but that doesn't make them lose their nerve because this guy has got to go so they send in a athlete or a fitness coach to strangle the 31 year old emperor in the bath nice Oh, the bath again. Yeah, and it works. <laughs> so he dies, and the Nerva Antoine dynasty that ruled Rome for almost a century came to an end. Probably a good thing. Yeah, but then the city kind of went into civil war, so. Nah, oh. Nah, nah. So you're saying that this guy was the string that was holding Rome together. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I guess. <laughs> like Everyone was so scared of him. I guess I'd be scared of him too. Historians were not nice to him. Like I said, they don't paint the best picture of him. Well, he sucks. <laughs> I think just because he had so many crude antics, it says that they made this ancient bias about him. And they're like, eh, his father, they have put up on a pedestal. They think he's like of this very noble aristocrat and is seen as a great man. But it said that the army and the lower classes did love Commodus, which I think kind of weird. Like he would fight all like the ex-soldiers, but yeah. Whatever. Well, but I think he kind of stands for that machismo that the army probably stood for. Yeah. So yeah, an attempt to make this new golden age of Rome like his father, he ended up just becoming the laughing stock of aristocrat class society. Oh, Commodus, what a guy! The cruel gladiator. Cruel. Well, that's a good story, though. <laughs> that's just cool that an emperor fought in the Coliseum. Should I watch the movie now? I I don't know. I think it's kind of brash. But, I mean, if it won Best Picture, it has to be decent. Yeah, there's probably a lot of fighting. Yeah. <laughs> lots of lion skins. Lots of lion skins. Lots of Hercules. <laughs> Let's hope. Maybe I'll watch Hercules instead. There you go. Good alternative. After Lizzie McGuire. Oh, yes. <laughs> Well, thanks for tuning in to another episode of Travel with a Chance of Murder. This was our episode on Rome, Italy. Please tune in next time for a special Christmas episode that we are so excited to share with you. Yeah, happy holidays.
On behalf of the flight crew, thank you for flying with us and have a pleasant day.